There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell Tovey, I am feeling like a sullen girl. Go on. Because, <laughs> because, uh, for some weird reason, every time I look at today's guest's beautiful figurative paintings, I sing a song to myself which is some weird sort of synapse or whatever you call it in my brain. But it links me to the days when I spent literally 24-7 listening to the album Tidal by Fiona Apple. And Fiona Apple (laughs) isn't as big in the UK as she is in America. But um, I was spending a lot of time back then making music in Canada and I was obsessed with her. And for some reason, I was looking at Aubrey's paintings the other day and I was literally like, days like this, I don't know what I'd do with myself. Um, and singing that song, Sullen Girl. And then I just thought, well, I am a sullen girl, aren't I? And uh, the works of today's guest have a melancholy, a kind of incredible atmosphere and um, a really extraordinary colour palette, which I am so excited to, to discuss because it's just really incredible and her work really stands out. And um, I think right now there's obviously a lot of figurative painting that's been coming through, rightly so. Um, and it feels like a kind of return in a way to to people accepting all different kinds of painting, because also there's a whole abstract um, movement at the moment, especially in the UK happening. Um, and actually even your show, Russ, at Sim Smith that you curated. Um, but I, I actually think today's guest is just one of the greats of this this group of artists who are working at the moment. And it's a really singular voice. Um, that comes through in in the work and anyway we will discuss it but i'm not suggesting today's guest is sullen i'm just um saying that saying I am. you are yeah you're i am a misery is is where we're mm-hmm. at we so this. we would like to welcome <laughs> to talk art aubrey, aubrey Leventhal. Leventhal. hi aubrey hi thank you so much <laughs> how are you <laughs> good thank you for that <laughs> that was a fun introduction do you know do you know fiona apple do you know sullen girl is that a song that you have on repeat in the studio <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> once i was like yep <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah i definitely was into that in my like middle school years and honestly recently i feel like people are into her again all of a sudden i feel like yeah. she's been on some of my spotify mixes all of a sudden it's interesting that you bring her up she's yeah. so cool she was a rebel 
And she yeah. stuck yeah. to her guns. Love her. You're right. Yeah. Where do we find you today? I'm in my studio in South Philadelphia. Um, yep, it's about three and it was, in the afternoon. It was Philadelphia, born and raised, right? <laughs> yeah. That's where. <laughs> and and you've always you went to school there and you studied there. And have you ever felt the urge to leave Philadelphia? Because now we're looking at you and you're in your studio in Philadelphia. It feels like Philadelphia is everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I never was like, oh, I have to be in Philadelphia forever. This is the place. You know, I was never like a diehard, but um, it's always worked really beautifully. And I, I do love it. Um, it was great as an art student. It's affordable. There's a lot going on. Um, it kind of has like an undercurrent that, you know, it's like a second tier city here, but it's like, it's not so, I don't know, like corporate. It's kind of, you can do what you want. You can find what you need and do what you want kind of. And so, um, and it's close to New York. So I've always um, loved it. And, you know, of course, family's here and everything else. So it does feel weird that I'm, you know, they say like in Pennsylvania, it's the state where you're the most likely to live and die. And I'm like, oh God, am I going to be one of those? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Aubrey, it feels like it. (laughs) It feels like, you know, it feels like, Uh, especially Philadelphia is so embedded in the work as well. Like mm -hmm. you look at your, for people coming to your work, it's your everyday, it's, it's your life. It's you walking around, what you observe, your local stores, the people you see in the park, your experiences when you're driving the car. These all, these things are very embedded in the city that you're in. Yes. Yes. And I feel like whenever I think about moving, I'm like, where would I move? Nothing looks the way it, I like it to look except here in a certain way. And um, it's funny because people will ask me also, you know, where does the color come from? And I think I didn't realize it until I traveled a bit, but it's like Philadelphia is a gray, silver, silvery gray place. And so it's sort of just a reflection of what I'm seeing. <laughs> oh, really? Like the light there is is different. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just always every. It's always raining. It's always grey. You guys can. Probably <laughs> you should come relate. to London. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think your your work your work will fit in perfectly. That'll be, yeah. <laughs> Although with global warming, who knows? I think London might end up being a sunspot. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy, heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually leads us into this idea then that I brought up in the intro, which is your color palette, and. I think it is a good thing to start the conversation with in a way, because I think that's what sets your paintings apart and make them so you. It's this kind of like muted, very gentle colours, but at the same time, quite, I washed don't know, out. washed out colours, but mm. but also colours that jar sometimes too, somehow. I don't know, there's always a, a kind of um, a tension between some of the colour choices. Yeah. Colour feels so hard to discuss when I'm teaching or when I'm just trying to explain it further it does seem like the one formal thing that is so innate like it's so in the purse the painter I think in a certain way I I think I often will try to go against that and I'll lay down especially recently I've been putting down um, grounds of much brighter colors and then sort of using that to work against or try to you know work into and inevitably the paintings kind of land in a similar 
place. I mean, earlier my work was higher in key, but I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of that when I've found that place where there's that nuance, like the muted color sings kind of next to a few vibrating, brighter, saturated moments, that's just always feels so right. It ends up being where they stay. But that is naturally where you go. You don't find yourself kind of going brighter and then bringing it back to these muted kind of grays and yellows and browns. This is the palette that you like happily sit within. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I do think I try to push it the other way. Like for a long time, I would start paintings and they would kind of always stay in that silvery, like lightish gray. Um, but, but I have tried to <clears throat> build brighter ground and then, yeah, they'll inevitably kind of get muted. I, I'd work in a lot of like glazing and, um, you know, kind of pulling things off with a utility blade and then washing back in. So yeah, the color often ends up getting that kind of that kind of muddy, um, nuanced in between kind of that I, I don't know, I just respond so much to that. And you work on a wooden panel a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost all the work is on panel at this point, yeah. How did that come into play? Like as a painter, you would just like yeah. the assumption is you would go straight to canvas. Right, right. Yeah, I worked on canvas for a long time, um, like in school, and was always tending towards the kind of um, like working with thin paint, you know, and everyone would say like, build it up. And, and I, I would build it up, but it never felt right. So I would scrape it back. And I finally was working on like small little, you know, throwaway masonite kind of panels. And the way that you can scrape on that, you can really push and almost like get all of the paint off. So it kind of held up against the kind of like um, scraping and erasing that I like to do. So it just, you know, I kept gravitating toward that. And now at this point, I've just kind of given in. <laughs> and that, that scraping technique is, is done with a, a razor blade, right? This is something yeah. that you, mm-hmm. you kind of scratch over the surface once you've created the image. Yeah. So when I first was doing that, it was probably with a palette knife, but I wanted something sharper. And I have very lazy habits in the studio. I have like all these utility blades. I have like a 50 pack of utility blades that um, was I had been using to clean my palette and uh, just started using them on the paintings. And now I, that's like one of the things I can't, um, I can't paint without. I have to have big supply of the little rectangular blades. Is there, is there anything in you that feels kind of uh, terrified every time? If, you, if you're happy with an image and then you go at it with a blade, is there a part of you that thinks, what if I, you know, hack a lump out or, I, or I'm going to destroy the surface of this? That's part of the excitement, surely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's like you have to. You have to take out the good parts. And, I mean, usually you're trying to take the bad, but a lot of it goes. And then that's. I think that's really, for me, the whole joy of it is the making and not knowing what's going to come up. And so I think particularly earlier on, the work was so much about pulling back and seeing what would kind of bubble to the surface and then working from that and kind of like having a conversation with the, with the paint as it, as it develops. There's also a, a, a real feeling of 
uh, fragility is, is what I often think when I look at the mm. work. If you think of like you a few years ago, the, the series of paintings you were making, say in 2020, there's something like, um, there's an amazing one of the subway where you've got the the plastic bags, like the shopping bags. And yeah. there's something so sort of fragile that you could imagine those bags just literally blowing away or collapsing. And you know what I mean? Like, even though they might mm. have stuff in them, you, you've got that element of air. And I, I like the idea of that that scraping away as well, somehow to create that energy of fragility within the mm. pictorial image. Yeah, I love that. I think that is a big part of it, that kind of ghostly, um, yeah, um, almost being there. And also when things kind of reverse, like I guess a plastic bag is somewhat fragile, but but I like when things like often the figures will feel almost like they're disappearing. I like the reversal of something solid becoming sort of uh, lost in the paint. So I think often that's how that happens, like using the um, blade or, or I'll often dip my rags in, um, you know, the solvent and like pull them back. So. But it's also like, it's not actually just fragility. It's like a flimsiness. I think that was the word yeah. I was actually going for probably. And like, even sometimes your the shapes of furniture or, or um, the body shapes themselves, there's kind of like a bendy, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, even like the plastic in a sense, like that plastic bag, like it can, it can move into different shapes and be molded. And they're, they're quite sort of visceral. It kind of makes me feel all this kind of, that, that's kind of what's in my head anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that they're not kind of still and and um, wooden carved out, but kind of maybe able to yeah breathe a little bit. That's that's yeah. that's a goal. So that's nice. Yeah, Thank there you. is there is air in there, but also there's a passing of time because there's a lot of um, food appears. Yeah. But some of it's fresh, some of it's right. rotten. Right. There's flowers. Some of them are wilting. Some of them right. are upright yeah. plants. So there's this passage of time. And even though we might be seeing this figure in one domestic situation, around them, there is time passing through these tropes of mm-hmm. like art history you yeah like the still life is something art history you see that rot it's about how we as humanity are, are rotting away right. it's the these elements when when did you hit on that that you wanted to combine the still life but the movement and that art historical context as well yeah I don't know when it started but I was made aware of it kind of recently I didn't even realize I was using so many things that mark that time is passing in the still image until it was pointed out to me by a painter friend but yeah like the banana and the um, flowers they just I think they they do they suggest movement the same way that we were just talking about and so that's really I don't know that's that's attractive to me and then the watch as well is in there a lot yeah the watch is often in there um I think, I think it's maybe started with trying to sort of like paint the accumulation of a memory. So it's not just like, oh, this one time something happened, but rather like constantly sitting at the same table or constantly looking at the same cup. And um, how do you sort of paint that into a still image? I don't know, but I like that question. I think that often comes up for me. So something to do with that I, I, love, I love the concept that the painting is co- sort of 
in charge of you. The, the fact that your friend, your friend pointed it out to you, even though you're the creator of it, you're putting it out there, but your friend's the one who says to you, you do realize you're doing this. It's the, these, these instincts that you have, but it's like the paintings are telling you what they want to be rather than you being in complete control. That That's quite an incredible um, vibe to be in when you're making work. Um, yeah, that's, that's where it's really exciting for me to make the painting. I think, um, in that space where it feels like it's just instinctive response to the work. And I've had it where I think, especially in school, there was this urge to think about painting in a way that was more like how a conceptual artist would think of understanding what you're doing and why and uh, wanting to do that beforehand or wanting to narrow down into a series. Um, and that was very limiting and made the worst painting. So I think through time of having done that and it not working, I've tried to find ways to put parameters in that make it so that I don't actually know what's going to come about exactly. I kind of try to keep those things open, um, give myself new questions, whether it's, you know, do I paint, like I said, with a different ground or do I, um, you know, start a painting from life instead of from shape. So just always trying to kind of challenge what I've done so that there are those places where it doesn't feel like I'm so in control. Yeah, like having spontaneity or like keeping it yeah. alive, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think a lot of the things that are most exciting to me in the end, I couldn't have thought of before making the paintings. They just are a result of the process. So, Did you ever, when it comes to the figure, we're in like a figurative renaissance. And I know that when I first started collecting, people were telling me painting's dead and the figure's dead. Did you ever at any point when you were making work and you were obviously inspired by yourself and the figure and the domestic did anyone ever say don't do that did anyone ever warn you not to make work like that because it wouldn't be successful I think maybe not outright but it was definitely a feeling that well why paint this and what's the point um, there was much more resistance to it when I was in school of course I did for graduate school go to the academy the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. So that is very much like figurative in its tradition. Um, I saw once they had a Fairfield Porter painting hanging in the museum and was like, okay, I need to go here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think definitely it was much more um, why do that? And now I don't think that's really asked so much. No, definitely. Do, and do you feel like you're part of this figurative movement? Because there is, and there is a lot of attention on you and you're part of your peers as well. There's a lot of, you know, um, support and enthusiasm. And do, do you feel like you're in kind of a golden age of figure in painting right now? Um, I feel really honored that you would say that. I think I get very excited when I look around and see there are so many people painting things that are really exciting to me and I, I don't feel like that was as much the case you know years back but um, 
it does feel like there is um, there is interest in figure and it just it never made sense to me that it it would be not something to paint because it's maybe cycles but it always comes back to figure <laughs> and actually the if you look at your body of work this far there's the, the protagonist in it is often this female figure who I take it is the self-portrait of, of yourself I guess and it's almost yeah. like a, a, when you when you see you know numerous paintings from over the past say five years they become like this kind of patchwork quilt of like of experience of life of like what it's like to live right now on on earth and um, <laughs> a very interior perspective but also just just like a kind of presentation of like the culture as well around us like the actual everyday um mm -hmm. is, is that if you were installing a show do you do, do, do you think in like terms of timeline or narrative because it's almost for me there are these kind of like it's like a, a whole life like almost like a film kind of rolling in front of you mm. or maybe like a <laughs> I don't know this very personal diary, kind of diary diaries entries. yeah like and like yeah. a poet might might write you know, like, I don't know, like Sylvia Plath or somebody used to write about, mm. about their, their experiences, like, you know, the light coming in through the window, their reflections, these interior moments. Like, I think mm -hmm. when you put them all together, it's so powerful. And I, I was yeah. thinking if I was you, I'd really struggle to like install a show unless <laughs> you, I, I was interested how you, how you see yeah. that kind of process. Um, I do. I think they, I do like to see them all together. It does feel like new things threads come between them but um i often let the galleries do that because i think sometimes i get too close you know i'm close to the paintings for months i'm close to the subject matter so often mm. i'll maybe think too again like think too practically or think oh now that i have to look and make a show and and think in ways that are too linear so i think sometimes it's better for someone else's eyes to kind of have a new read and it could be more poetic often that way. And as they're so personal and is you, have you ever regretted selling any of them? Are there any of them that you wish you oh, kept that's back? Funny. <laughs> for the most part, no. I would say for the most part, when they're done, I'm fine getting rid of them. There was one um, <laughs> breakfast at 13th that was really more particularly like a family portrait than most things I've done. And I really like that painting. So um, I don't know if I regret it, but I wouldn't mind still looking at that one. And what, what does it feel like knowing that there's portraits of you in random people's houses around <laughs> yeah, the world, looking at them, you're looking at them and living with them. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I liked someone said about them that they're self-portraits by half and I think that's how I think of it and I, it makes me feel more comfortable with that idea they're kind of <laughs> a fictionalized. By half? What do you mean? What does that mean? Like um they're sort of self-portraits but there's someone else in there I don't know there's they've been reworked enough to become kind of their own oftentimes like they'll start as a more specific thing to my living room or something, and then they'll become, you know, a couch color I don't have, or, you know, even, you know, just sort of wonk out in different ways that it becomes much less about my own, like likeness or the space's likeness and sort of about its own um, reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I also feel like the viewer can complete the work maybe or it becomes yeah in your work very specifically though I'm, I'm not just saying this generally like there's something I know they always talk about if you think of Matisse and I don't know there's artists like John McAllister and um there's loads of people now that think about like windows and um you know you look out of the window but I feel like with yours it's kind of looking in the window yeah. maybe <laughs> or like or like or like you're sat on the table next to you in the cafe yeah um, looking right. at you across I feel like somehow as a viewer you almost yeah. feel like you're actually in that scene and that's why they oh, also make me that. think of a film because I feel oh, like yeah, you're almost, you're almost encouraging us to to, to yeah. become creative in our in our interaction with the work which I don't think about in a lot of figurative yeah. painting actually it's like I do I like it's... that I do like that a lot and I like I like to use mirrors a lot too because they kind of force that where once you stand in front of the painting it becomes your reflection so there is this kind of like rather than being a voyeur into the painting, you become, <clears throat> yeah, sort of, you complete it. I like, I've never heard it. Never or or it like a participant. Like participant yeah, participant. Like, yeah, and and you're a, right. It's, it's not creepy. Because there's yeah, some paintings where the, where, where, where the painter, like, obviously might use that as a tool. Like, what well, they want you to feel like, uncomfortable, yeah. maybe, or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. like a voyeur. But I feel in yours, you're actually just, you're, you're part of the world. Like, you're welcome. I like in a that. Way. Yeah, like, there's sort of like, you're alongside the the private moment but not mm. in like a yeah not in an assertive yeah i don't know i like that yeah you're experiencing the space at the same time it's, mm -hmm. not like it's your time and our time it's like you're then part of the same conversation i like that i like that a lot we talked to so many artists during lockdown and you as an artist that i discovered during lockdown and i think mm -hmm. you were someone that i saw regularly really um, creating a language about what it was like to be in the lockdown and, mm -hmm. and you know, to be described as a sullen girl, which Rob said with a song, but melancholy <laughs> and, and the mundane and this time passing, which is a, a big uh, medium for you to work in is this passing of time. But there were so many paintings that you created and a whole series of these nightstand series. I think there were six of them. Right. It was you basically in the same position on the bed right. and you just assume it's on a different day and it feels like, this is what it is today. This is what it is today. It's this repetitive action. And it, I, I found it fascinating. And I found like with a lot of artists that were working during that time, you were someone that really moved with the lockdown. It was something that mm. felt like it really inspired your work and it's taken it somewhere else since before lockdown and after lockdown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I made a joke to a friend. Like, I feel like I went through the anxiety ridden, feeling of COVID like about six months before everyone else. <laughs> so it just worked <laughs> out that it makes sense. Um, no, but I do. I think um, I think I really um, do tend to make paintings in response to what I'm seeing. And it's not even that I understand it in the time that it's happening, but like with those paintings, I was making, I was, very nervous too. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, I was getting a beep. Um, yeah. Oh. Sorry. Is that? We can definitely hear you still. Oh, okay. yeah. I just keep yeah. getting a beep in my ear. Oh, maybe they got the batteries in or anything. Okay, I think I think it's gone. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I, I um, with those paintings of the nightstand, I was working from home. I was too nervous to go into the studio building. So I brought everything home. I was working in the basement. So I'd be upstairs, look around, go down, make the painting. And um, I even worked in the bedroom. There was a painting called Bed. Um, and I pretty much worked from looking at my bed. So it was very much sort of like, directly from life, which is how I worked earlier, um, earlier on. So yeah, I think uh, I just noticed the way like the, the shape of that window and that dresser every day and it sort of bore a shape into my brain and I needed to paint it and um, yeah. It's was it sort of much... therapy in some ways? Did you find it as a uh, as your way of channeling these anxieties of that time? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say so. I think that I think painting is very hard and creates more anxiety. But it does in the end. If I haven't painted in a couple of days, I'm like, why am I feeling like this? And I and then I go paint and I feel better. So it kind of mimics life. I think it's like this mini world of things are going horribly things are going amazingly you know it's like it's all in a couple hours span um but I, I don't know i don't know that it feels directly like a cathartic thing sometimes but but often it's kind of feels more like a slog to me why is um, it why is it hard then why, why is that something that so art isn't fun art is hard and no it is fun <laughs> um yeah it's kind of that like the best times are when you're you know like things are it's just that up and down that kind of roller coaster of like oh I have this idea the painting's so exciting you go to the bathroom you come back oh it looks like shit I gotta you know it's just there's excitement in the kind of struggle I guess of making the painting and yeah I don't know I don't think I would like painting to be just kind of this, you know, what you um, see like um, a plein air person. I think whenever I've done plein air, I'm like in a life or death match. Like I'm out there so stressed out and people are coming by looking and it's awful. <laughs> I think I think it's a myth that to make a good painting, you're in this like relaxed, at least for me, this like kind of like relaxed state of mind. I don't know about that. Do you sketch before everything? Yeah, I um, tend to draw figures in certain poses, like pull them from some of my books or from life or from a photo. And then that's often where the beginning of the painting will be. Like I'll lay ground and then kind of set in some shapes and, and line um, related to that pose. Mm. I I listened to an interview where it said that um, your where your inspiration came from and where where you were told in your formative years that you could be an artist and your mum was really uh, formative in that because she showed you many women artists mm-hmm. and she said that if you want to be an artist these are artists that are women like George O'Keefe I think you mentioned America Sat so mm-hmm. you had uh, a real support from a young age and then there's this incredible story you said about this sketch you found as a five year old that you made yeah. 
and it was it's almost like you're a fortune teller this feels like <laughs> it's quite witchy the image yeah. i'd love you to speak about you know that that uh the promotion of your mum for you as a kid and also this 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 sketch that you now live with oh yeah so she found the sketch i had done i guess it was in kindergarten where everyone had to say what their magic hat would let them be in the future and mine said i would be an artist and it's a picture of me drawing a picture of me <laughs> it's like a little easel with... <laughs> and you're five <laughs> right you're five years yeah. old then. that's yeah. so crazy uh it is and it's yeah it's it's pretty surreal because i as much as i wanted it i don't know that i thought it could happen so yeah she was she was formative in that she had books around um, and yeah, would, I think I was a kid who was very much sort of like would go, it's interesting because my son now is five and he's so different. And so only by comparison do I realize like I would go inward and go and read and make things and <clears throat> like um, draw where he, when he's, feeling bored expands out and like wants to go out into the neighborhood and see you know so it's very um and see people um I don't know it's just kind of again like something that seems very much embedded in there somehow what would his magic hat do for him do you know <laughs> um, <laughs> make him tall enough to be a basketball player and... <laughs> yeah there's a painting uh, in that, I think. Right. <laughs> Him trying to uh, put the ball in the net. Um, you know, I mentioned the idea of jarring colours. It might not be mm -hmm. something that people immediately think of. But for me, the reason I said it is because in your work, there seems to be this recurring theme of either objects. It could be like... Um, like flowers or a piece of cake or even cherry tart because that was one of the things that I I really spotted myself and I don't know if this is just me noticing it in the work but hungry. I feel like there's no 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 it's also elemental so it could be like water but there's also moments where you even have like a swimming pool but but often you have you have you use color to kind of highlight one thing in particular it's almost like there's a spotlight and I don't know if it's deliberate and it could just be a compositional thing like it's a balance you know of making okay. the image but even the one where you're lying on a sofa and um it's this kind of yellow velvet and then the piping of of the cushion and I only noticed it because I've been um recently restoring old furniture and I've done <laughs> you know I now understand all about this piping and how they put it all together but but even the piping it's like that's the color in that one painting which is like this yeah. incredible jarring kind of moment and there's other places where you've got like I don't know something on a table and there'll be there'll be one like toothbrush or something that's like a really mm -hmm. lime green against everything else that's very silver mm. I love mm. that in the work this kind of spotlighting and pinpointing of objects because for me it's like that interior world when you're a kid and you might feel um like a bit lost or a bit bored even and just like the repetition of the daily thing but you somehow get joy out of a book or out of you know one object and it somehow keeps your focus I just I loved it and it took me back to childhood is that something wow. that's deliberate or is it just part of making a work yeah you're someone that loves objects it's obvious. I, yeah. yeah for sure yeah we all are so, yeah. oh okay <laughs> yeah I, thank you for saying that um I think it's born out of a couple things I think when I make the paintings, they feel very kind of wishy-washy at the beginning where, you know, I'll put in a big tablecloth that's pink or something. And then I'll need something that um, 
focuses your eye, but also the way that I think like memory functions that kind of you were alluding to where something really grabs you and you remember it and other things are kind of at the periphery. I really like to try to mimic that. I think Bonard's a master of that where, <clears throat> you know, you can even, some of his paintings, you'll look at it, you won't even notice that a figure is like in the space and then slowly that comes into focus. So, mm. um, yeah, I think it helps with that feeling. I also think it makes the time, like we were talking about earlier, the way time passes, it kind of, um, it will make you move around the painting in a certain way where like a pattern or something very bright or a sort of vibrating moment will um, make you look a second time or revisit that spot. And so um, that feels important both to the subject, like the, the feeling I'm trying to get across maybe, but also compositionally it feels like the painting needs it. So sometimes I'll even like bring in like an actual toothbrush. I have actually for the painting, um, Russell, that you have, um, mm. the, the, for the Grimm show, this you might recognize. Yes. <laughs> There's a clock oh, wow. in the painting and I actually brought the clocking because I needed like a very specific kind of graphic moment, I felt. Do you think you're giving us a map to navigate your paintings, the way that you're highlighting, the way that things ping out, the way that your focus is is taking you around on a journey of the plane. Yeah, um, I think I'm trying to suggest it maybe, and I like when the paintings reveal themselves slowly. So I do think, you know, what comes up first or how it appears at first. And then hopefully the longer you look, there's the reward, whether something comes into focus or, you know, you want to return to some part of it. I do, I do think a lot about that. Oh yeah. I've got, I've got a painting where, which is fruit with toaster reflection and it's one yeah. that returns all the time. And, it, and I look and I go, Oh my God, I've not seen that before. There's a pineapple. I didn't even see the pineapple. <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah, there the pineapple. you are. I had it for a while and I was like, oh my gosh, she's in the toaster. That's the reflection. I was always going, yeah. what's the reflection? Because there's a knife there. And it's, they are, you can, your work, you return to them. And because of this like passing of time that you're able to contain within the plane, you, it always is constantly revealing something to you. Mm. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's... Um, yeah. uh, 
a story that you said, uh, which, which I've read about, which is um, currently you have a work up at the Flag Art Foundation, which we can come mm-hmm. to. But I was reading the text for that by Alexa yeah. Worth, and oh, she yeah. said a quote that uh, Catherine Bradford, who's an artist that we love, came to visit you and came to see yeah. your work. And she said to you, why can't there be a Diet Coke? Right. And this was something for you which unlocked everything. And I'd, I'd love to talk yeah. about that because that seems such a simple line. But actually, that feels like it gave you permission to, to just make it you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was so uh, magical to have in. And so I had been making all these paintings of, of these sort of old, like, I wouldn't say nostalgic, but more kind of like they felt even more sort of the time you know they were they were like stills from old family movies or whatever so um I was painting these beautiful kind of tablecloths like over top of these china plates and all these different things and um yeah she said why can't there be a Diet Coke and it's like yeah why can't there be the things that are on the table and I think that kind of slowly over I mean it's been what almost 12 years since she probably said that at least, Um, this feeling of being more particular about when I place, like what places you in a particular time period. So like a Diet Coke or in that piece, Alexi was saying that he felt it was all about the AirPod in the one woman's ear that Mm. put it, put you in 2023. So yeah, I find, I find that kind of fun too. Like what signifies a time. They'll end up being time capsules as well. The fact that there's an earpod. You know, in yeah. five years, we might not have earpods, they'll just be embedded. Yeah, in, I used to paint them with a string. Yeah. Um, but I refused to paint masks. I did not paint a single mask, and I'm proud of it. So hopefully that'll oh, right. recede out, out of our minds. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what was the object you held up? Because I just realized the listener probably won't have oh, seen God, that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned, because Russell's curated this exhibition called Close, which is going to be at Grimm Gallery in London. And it opens on the 4th of March, 2023, and it runs until the 6th of April. And it includes a number of different artists. And it's, it's around this idea of um, the kind of domestic, I guess, isn't it, Russ? Quiet moments of domestic Quiet joy, moments, celebrating yeah. those, yeah. Yeah. So what, what was the object that you said was in the painting yeah, that's going to be in that this, show? Um, it was this little clock that's like shaped like an apple and um, yeah an apple clock (laughs) it's kind of a great color and shape so I was thinking of it because I look at it all the time but then I needed kind of to really a look from life to put it in there so I brought it yeah it's very much it's very much your color palette it's that lime green that sometimes (laughs) punctuates certain paintings Mm. for sure and for those listening it's it's quite cartoony in shape in a way Mm -hmm. it's not like a apple the brand it's more like a kind of right a, it's kind of like green, sliced an apple in apple. half yeah. on yeah. little feet and then it's made kind of, it into a clock yeah. it's very um anthropomorphic yeah if that's the right word yeah Who knows? are you still there i think we've yeah okay we've lost your image but anyway um if you can hear us so um so as I said, you've got a painting up right now at the Flag Art Foundation. And mm-hmm. the Flag Art Foundation is a non-profit exhibition space which has in New York, in Manhattan, which has rotating exhibitions of contemporary art. And they do these spotlight exhibitions mm-hmm. where it's a, a, an artwork which hasn't been seen publicly and they pair the artist up, the artwork, and a writer. In this case, it was uh, Alexi Worth, who we was just talking about. 
the Flag Art Foundation is a big deal. I've seen many exhibitions there. I mean, mm-hmm. this spotlights before on a Titus, Shara Hughes, Elisa Nissenbaum, lots of incredible artists have had this spotlight. What is what has that process been like? And what is it? Um, can you talk about that particular painting and, and why you chose that one to be your spotlight? Mm, sure. Yeah, it's been great to work with Flag. Um, like you said, I saw so many shows there before they invited me to um, have this one painting on this wall. And it's really a nice thing where they pair you with an, um, a, a written piece, the painting. And um, so Alexi and I got to talk a lot about sort of, <clears throat> we talked a lot about, like I had said, the time, what makes a painting feel contemporary or of a certain time. And that was an interesting um to kind of parse with him um that painting just was one of the those lucky ones where i was walking through that park which i walked through almost every day and it just hit me that like i knew what i needed to make a painting of that i had been looking for um a winter coat <laughs> um and so you know how like when if you're looking for let's say like like a new mug then you look at everyone's mug and you're like oh that's nice that's i like that you know you start to get or like someone's bathroom like tile or something so i was Mm. like in this quest for a coat and so i started noticing coats and just the shape the way that like they become these like big solid shapes moving around and it's like the person barely exists within this thing um I just thought that's an amazing painting. That's so funny. It just hit the note that I love. Like it's funny, but it's, I don't know, like these isolated little <sighs> shapes. So, so yeah, it just kind of hit me at once. And then I went home and, or went to the studio and made a bunch of little drawings. And, um, and from there, it just like kept kind of adding to it as I would walk through, look, see what else I wanted to add to the painting. And so it felt so um, important and like I made it, like I, I work on maybe 10 paintings at a time. So often they're slow and wow. turn them around, put them back. But that one just like kept working and I kept feeling what needed to happen with it. And so it felt like this singular thing. Um, so when they approached me with having just one painting that felt really like the right one. So that so that the painting came first, and then they approached you, or did it come the other way around? Um, they had said they were interested, and to let them know if something came up in the next, you know, like six months to a year of making work that made sense. And so, when that one happened, I sort of like thought, oh, this would be something to ask if they would be interested in. And talking about humor, Alexi says that in one of the figures, which I think is the closest to you, and it looks like she's headbutting. The side of the panel, which I, <laughs> which I, I that, yeah. as soon as I read that, I was like, it does. It looks yeah. like this woman's literally yeah. got a headbutt away yeah. out, of, <laughs> out of the out of the screen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like um, she's she's so kind of miserable that it's funny, and so for me, <laughs> I think sometimes people want to talk about the melancholy, and that's for sure there, but also. I love when it's tempered with a kind of humor or I don't know, there's just something with like her that felt so right. She almost feels like lifted out of some painting from art history and flunked there. And 
not quite right for her to <laughs> remain. So she, yeah, kind of desperate. I, I think those moments of wit and humor mm. like persist through the work. Like it, it appears every so often. And there's that amazing painting of like, loads of kind of suits at a desk like at, at like a workplace or something all these yeah, yeah. men kind of, kind of <laughs> yeah. like in, in lined around a table and then you've got mm-hmm. the figure of the, the woman just like sort of like <laughs> oh god and it made yeah. me think about like the personal being political as well and whether there's right. some element of like I don't know comment social commentary w- within it like this kind of like humorous um mm. underlining throughout the work you know what that is the one painting I'll say that felt like a cathartic, it wasn't therapy, but it was so directly related to going to a faculty meeting and being like, I need to rid this and make a painting. (laughs) So um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that was kind of direct um, from life experience. A satire of the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the... um, one of my favorite things about your work, and I hope that everybody listening when they come to your work will start noticing it now, is the way you sign your paintings. <laughs> I am obsessed. You know, Such I, we, a Russell Tovey comment. We all love an artist's signature. Everybody <laughs> loves an artist's signature. Everybody loves a title and a date. But you scratch in your surname in the mm-hmm. bottom right-hand corner of everything. And sometimes it's muted and sometimes it's very clear. Mm. But it's the way that your your kind of font that you've created to write your name with that I'm obsessed and every time that's I see a painting I, that's one of the first things I look at is the way that that's you've signed so your name funny. in the corner huh no one's ever said that but I appreciate that yeah I um I look at signatures a lot too I find them so interesting like Mirandi is so quiet and then his signature is yes. so big yes so strange but always put in the right place compositionally um yeah I don't Mm. know when I started doing that but it just it was a good way to be able to like you said either disguise it if the composition needed that or you know um some paintings can hold like a bigger stronger font and it doesn't affect it so yeah and my name is strangely like everything is is straight lines and I seem I seem to do a lot of things on the grid in the paintings so somehow the the shape of the letters capitalized just always seems to yes, work. Yes, I think that's it. Yeah, I think it's very <laughs> satisfying. It's mm. a very satisfying because they're all in capitals. Mm. And it's it's and have you always scraped it in, or was that something that you kind of? I think oh, almost always have scraped it. I mean, yeah, pretty much any paintings that I've that are out in the world probably have a similar signature it's been a while I hope you, everyone else notices that now you, you know what else like I when I was looking at the work when Russ first told me about you maybe six months ago or so he's so good at spotting people because all he does mm. is geek out 24 7 when he's not <laughs> filming um <laughs> like searching people out all the time um but I really distinctly remember him telling me about your work and mm. I remember thinking like it was so precise that was my first thought about mm. your work was it was very like ordered somehow mm, and mm-hmm. almost like meticulous in nature mm. but mm. then 
I saw photographs taken in your studio and I saw your palette, like yeah. almost like, oh, you know, God. what you would mix your paints with. And there was a furiousness. I don't mean anger. I mean more like vitality or like, like an urgency within mm-hmm. the way that you're mixing your paints and the way you're getting <laughs> your colors. It's quite yeah. messy, actually. Yeah. And it wasn't at all. I, it was totally opposite to what the work is. And I was fascinated to ask you what it's like <laughs> in your studio. Like, is it a mess? <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think generally in life I'm pretty organized, but in the studio it is. It's like that's the worst habit. I never clean off the and it's kind of purposeful, I think. Um because then yeah, nice colors come up um and I never clean my brushes cuz I love that, you know, sludge that forms. And um yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like there's so many I'm looking around now. There's so many um rags that are like a fire hazard probably and (laughs) (laughs) so many so many half finished paintings yeah it feels like that is where things again like the way that things come out of the panel maybe like they'll just start to like kind of bubble up if there's enough mess going on around the easel Wow, so it's like a chaos, and then the clarity of the image <laughs> yeah, reveals itself. It comes maybe. to life in front of or, you. Like an or maybe apparition. I'm just giving myself a reason never to, yeah, <laughs> clean to my tidy up. Is there a lot of um, empty it's very w- romantic? Is there a lot of empty wine bottles and rotten fruit in there as well? Or? Um, yes, I mean, let's see. Right now, yeah, there's a couple things. There's a couple things in different states of decay. <laughs> That's so funny. I was in my friend's car the other day, and every time I get in his car, there's always like a a mouldy like um, banana peel, yeah. or like a half-eaten apple core. Just somebody yeah. I work Who's with. That? Just oh. somebody I work with, and uh, because they have a family, obviously, and I think their kids must just throw things right, down. Right, right. Often in the you know the compartments in, yeah. the, in the door of the car, it's just oh, like know, pa- packed full of stuff. Put their hand in there. Oh god. Yeah. Oh my god. That's so <laughs> I used to, Aubrey. when I taught still life, I would, um, I had pieces of cake that I like cut and they hardened over time and they were just perfect. Like I could just pull them out. Like they were actually, pla- you know, made of plastic or something, but they, they really were, um, they were real at one point. And I also, I used to make paper mache objects like of cake and of different things. So they're always laying around the studio too. I actually have a rotten banana paper mache right across really? looking at right now. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? Like paper mache? Like- um, I don't know. I had the urge to do that. And it was at a time I was pregnant. And so I made, it was for this little show in this tiny room in the painting center that felt almost like a refrigerator. And so I made this show called Refrigerator Paintings. And the objects were things that I craved and things that I couldn't have. And I don't know, it was just... Um, funny to me and so they all like live in the studio now because where else will they go (laughs) you know you know saying that that you have this urge to make the papier-mâché sculptures um like there's something about you having spoken to you now that I can see you're very resolute or or strong within your um, vision of what it is you want to do and it seems like even at times when you were told or not necessarily told directly but you know that it wasn't necessarily the the most interesting thing to be painting or whatever you just were like focused and had uh, conviction like and and faith in yourself is that something that always came naturally to you because I think it's it's such good advice to artists whatever age just to remember that your voice is the one that's the most interesting and and that 
that will, if you really start to listen to yourself and focus on that and forget all the noise around you, that mm-hmm. will probably bring you the greatest rewards in life because not only will you love the work, but the world yeah. will too, probably. Yeah, I think it wasn't such a clean thing where I always felt that way. I think I often would try the things that were suggested or question myself. There was a lot of like doubt, but then working backwards, I always felt like I would try things and say, no, no, no. And I would always come back to like these core things that I would always find. Mm. Um, And so I think it's good to kind of eliminate, you know, to try things, but yeah, like, there were times where I just said no, like when an art uh, critic would say like, you should make video art. Like, no, I knew for <laughs> myself that wasn't for, like I needed to be making the thing, but um, there were times I would try, but yeah, I think always, always seeing what feels engaging and then following that thread has, has been really um, the best way forward for me. And what's it like currently navigating the attention that you have on you you have an amazing uh gallerist monia row gallery yeah. in uh, manhattan who i love and i've seen yeah. exhibitions there of yours and obviously she's got your best interests and everything but what is it like personally for you when you suddenly have a lot of attention on mm. your work does it does it add pressure in the studio to you or is it something you try and shut out mm. yeah um I think I shut it out when I'm in working. When I'm working, it really just becomes about the compositions and things. But it does, it feels really nice to have galleries taking care of like the, you know, taking the pictures of the work, transporting it. I mean, I remember like, you know, packing up my stuff into bags, bringing it to a show, trying to hang, you know, it's just like to have, um, galleries that I trust and have think have my best interest um, take care of some of that kind of stuff that goes around making the work and also now I'm not teaching I was teaching at like three schools at once so it's just been it feels honestly kind of luxurious right now lovely oh that's nice yeah Yeah, it's it's good to feel like other people are caring caring for your work I imagine as well like even just that shipping thing the idea that it's being professionally shipped and it won't get damaged and you know what I mean like that 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 somebody else can be responsible for caring for the artwork I think it's that's amazing I mean I throw them around in here and then someone comes and puts it in like this beautiful handmade cardboard (laughs) box and they carry it so gently and I'm like oh (laughs) I should do that. I, we, I always have that when I go to artist studios and they just sort of drag their art around yeah. and pull it and flick it and throw it down. Right, I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> have respect for that. And it's like, right. well, it's there. It's just like right, it's part right. of them. It doesn't. Right. It's so strange. funny. So funny. So you mentioned Mirandi earlier and lots mm-hmm. of other artists. Uh, were there any particular artists that really you feel like gave you agency to push forward in your vision? Any that really what I, I missed that one part. Sorry, um, any that gave you agency and oh. kind of helped you push forward in your vision for what your work was. Mm. You know, I feel like when I was in graduate school, it was like I loved the postmod, like not the post-impressionist, like um, kind of Bonard. I loved some of Matisse, um, and then it was Porter. I thought of that as like a kind of lineage, like. Porter and Hockney, um, 
But then I think I sort of started to find painters that weren't so much in that like large canon, like they're known, but maybe not in the same way. And a lot of them were women kind of modernists. So like <clears throat> Janice Fiala, I love, um, Mary Seddon, who was Hockney's teacher. There's actually a lot of British um, women painters, Winifred Nicholson. Um, so yeah, I kind of found these painter, Natalie DePasquier, who's like more contemporary, but mm -hmm. kind of in this yes. area mm -hmm. of like nodding to these ideas of modern shape and, you know, formal things, but there's this underlying tenderness towards like objects and intimacy that maybe aren't there in some of the more known modernist painters of that mm. time. So yeah, though that really started, I don't know, I just started to find sort of like these outliers that I loved. I love Gertrude Abercrombie. I love mm -hmm. Stettheimer. So it's not that they necessarily, I paint so much like them, but they kind of, are in their corner doing their thing. And I respect that so much. I, I also thought of Milton Avery. Oh yeah. Your, yeah. 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 Your... Do, do you like Milton Avery? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few of them at the museum here that there's one of Who's these there? log with these birds all lined up. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. The color really is something in person. Yeah. What, what is your artist community like in um, Philadelphia? And, and what, what, you know, what are there galleries? Like, I'm not as familiar with it. I haven't yeah. been for a long, long time. I love the Philadelphia Museum, of course. I mean, right. it's iconic. But, um, right. but what, what's the kind of like day-to-day, -day, you know, like community of artists? Mm -hmm. Are there many friends? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in a building. Um, it's called the Bach Building, and it used to be this old technical school, and it's got a bunch of different painters in it. So that feels good, like every day to walk by you know, people working. Um, mm. And then in terms of, I think there's a lot of young emerging creative energy. There's a lot of schools here. There's a lot of co-op spaces. I think it's harder because there aren't those mid-level galleries, those sort of like commercial established spaces for artists who've been working for a while. So a lot of times, because New York's like an hour and a half away, artists will show in New York. Um, but mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot, I have a lot of good friends here and do studio visits. So it does feel, it does feel very connected, um, here and also to New York. There's like a lot of people who know each other and will introduce you. It's a very open kind of like, it's not competitive. It's very community. So, so I, I really, I really like that about it. It's definitely a move globally, I think, of decentralizing, um, you mm -hmm. know, having spaces for people to actually just have a little less pressure, both yeah. with like rent, but also just psychologically to not be in the big city and still participate and show there. But mm -hmm. I just think it's really healthy, actually. And I think it's brilliant that you've you found your kind of space there. Yeah, that was very helpful not to have the pressure of the prices in New York, right? Because I remember everyone said, like, you have to move to New York. And um you know, I had a lot of things here and didn't really see that happening, but was able to um, still go up and see shows and see friends. And so, um, yeah, it's worked out just fine. And I think it's even more so like that now than, than it was. 
And also the Philadelphia Museum has got the steps that Rocky run up and oh, down right, when he was right. training, <laughs> training for that. all of his uh, yeah. boxing competitions. So don't forget that. And it's got yeah. the last work Duchamp ever made. Oh, like is that, it? Right. Yeah, that famous, right. the famous work. That you the little room. Like peer, looking. peer through the, uh, the Talk about a voyeuristic. Yeah, that one is yes. wild. Yes. <laughs> That's real voyeurism. So mm-hmm. we're going to get to our final questions now. Okay. Um, if you could do an art heist, and I don't know if you collect art or do you trade with friends, if you could have any mm-hmm. work of art in the world for yourself, what would it be and why? Yeah, I thought on this because I'm a big listener. So I was thinking, what would it be? And so my first thought was like that it would be like the most transcendent time I had, which was when I saw Masaccio's um, expulsion painting of Adam and Eve in Florence, like that floored me but I think I would really struggle to live with that every day (laughs) and also the magic of it is so much about the fact that it is where it was painted it still exists there so I wouldn't do that I wouldn't do that to everyone but (laughs) maybe you could have like an art heist where you like put a chair in front of that and it's (laughs) just just reserved for you (laughs) um and then I was like oh it should be probably Bonard's table I've looked at that painting so many times the white tablecloth with the blue it kind of floats in blue around it, but I actually have never seen that in person. I think it's, um, I think it's there in London at the Tate, maybe. Um, oh. So I can't, I, I don't want to take something I haven't seen in person. So then I finally settled on, um, there's this Biala painting. It's a snow scene out a window and it kind of is the perfect painting to me. It's um, like got this line straight down the center that feels so symmetrical and like about the fact that you're looking at a painting but then there's the illusion out into this back garden with snow and it feels so simple at first it feels so white and like like nothing is there and the longer you look the colors start to really vibrate and um reveal themselves and it's just this quiet beautiful painting that um i think to have every day would be pretty magical plus to think of her story, you know, as someone, I think that would just feel good to have this woman who, you know, painted into her late nineties and. Who is it? Who's the artist? Uh, Janice Diala. Um, so she's not so well known. Yeah. And um, I think that's all you could ask for, like to be in your nineties making paintings, but then, you know, however many years after your death people come look and and feel the magic of those so that's what i would feel <laughs> love that yeah the the other question we ask every guest is a good one for you considering your your wonderful talent for color oh uh, what is your favorite color <laughs> yeah yeah um i have always been um my favorite's always been green so i would mm. say green and I think why I think it can go very neutral and kind of grayish and silvery, but it can also go I like that sort of we were talking about earlier that kind of acidy green, but it also I think it reads in a way that can be very natural and pure and earthy and then also kind of like putrid and repulsive. I don't know, there's something in it that is so nuanced you know, where like, I always tell my friends, I struggle with red, because it seems to assert itself so much as like what it should should be. And they disagree with me, they think green is hard. But I I think that 
what I like about it. It's very nuanced. And, um, and you can get to it so many ways. I don't actually buy a lot of greens, but um, you can mix so many beautiful greens. It sounds like you like the challenge. Yeah. You like you, you really do like the struggle, like you said. Before. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of struggles. You don't want it easy. You don't just want the red out of the tube. You're like, yeah. I'm going to create different shades of green. When yeah. when I asked you that question in my head, I had lime green, lime green. I thought that's what you were going to say, and then yeah. you said green. I was like, oh my yeah, god, you're psychic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the things to appear easy and simple, but to really have been a struggle to earn the yeah earn that muddy green what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art um i think to be sort of open to the vulnerability in making it i think that i don't know that anyone said that to me explicitly but um i think often i felt like i should be more I should be able to express, like I had said, like what is the work about and know and and know and explain it clearly. And I think often to be vulnerable and to be uh, to have doubt is to sometimes be dismissed, especially as a woman making paintings. Like so sometimes I'll try to be more direct, but I do think the best paintings are made in that kind of struggling, vulnerable space. And I think I would say I learned that honestly from um, my friend who was a former um, teacher of mine, Bill Scott. And um, he is like, he's a master. I mean, he's had, first of all, he's lived a thousand lives. He, he, in his high school, lived at Birth Martha's family's house. He lived at Joan Mitchell's in Paris. He's a scholar on so many things. And then to hear him talk, he's just so humble and approachable. And I think it's so nice to actually be able to understand and learn from um, that. I learned a lot from his generosity in that way. So, and, and watching people talk at him who knew like a quarter of the things that he had lived. So um, yeah, I think to embrace that vulnerability in making the work and trying to explain it is, is probably the thing I keep reminding myself of, that it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be. I think it also keep, keeps it open for the for the viewer, doesn't it? And yeah. it, the empathy and everything. That's probably yeah. what we were talking about earlier too. For someone who paints food objects so yeah. frequently yeah. and even has the refrigerator series yeah. um, of food inside the fridge, um, what is your favorite snack? Mm. In the studio, I've been having green apples a lot, but I don't know that that's my favorite. I thought snack. you were going to say cake. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm not a big eater of cake which is like why am I painting they look beautiful but yeah I'm more of a they do they're luscious yeah they're fluffy yeah and uh, I like to lots look of at icing them. I like to look at them and I like to make <laughs> sorry them. I interrupted you what we which snack did you say no I um yeah I'm more salty I think recently in the studio I've had like a lot of green apples for some reason I don't know ah. I don't I don't really put enough thought into my snacks here I think I, I listening to everybody who has their snacks on here I'm like I should actually go to the store and buy some nice things and have them but everything's very like messy and immediate in here it's all it's all but also 
the um the apples are green and it's subliminal yeah. because it's the, the apple clock isn't it it's the apple clock oh, it's like funny. look into my eyes do 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 that's funny and that is going to be on display in london everybody you can see that painting <laughs> my favorite thing i ever heard like probably about painting but it was on talk art also is lens girk said that the only way to keep an apple alive is to paint it and like something about that i wrote it down and i think about it so perfect so yeah full circle thank you for being a fan that feels really humbling that you've you've written a quote down from talk i thought that was so great the only way to keep an apple That's alive. That's interesting you mentioned Lens as well. I think yeah. anyone listening to this, and they, if they haven't heard his interview, they'd... Because you know what? That was one of my questions I forgot to ask you, was how difficult is it to paint spaghetti? <laughs> he, paints, he paints spaghetti. I know, Lens because he also meatballs. paints spaghetti. Yeah, spaghetti. That's what I was going to say. Because both of you have paintings, very elegant paintings, with spaghetti, and it seems like the most ridiculous <laughs> and difficult thing to pin down or paint, let yeah. alone eat. You've got, yeah. you've got a painting as well called Spaghetti Leftovers, I think, in a Tupperware box. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. my first show ever was called spaghetti for breakfast it's always been a theme i don't know well talking about lenzi's work you are going to be in a group show with right. uh lens Gierk, and yourself that i'm curating which yeah. opens on march the 4th at the grim gallery in mayfair in london uh so everybody listening come along aubrey's made an incredible painting in that and you'll see uh, an acid green sliced apple clock in that <laughs> painting so get excited and look for the signature in the bottom right hand corner as well that's been scratched in and what else have you got coming up you have uh, as we said at the flag art foundation you have the spotlight there at the moment which i think is on for a couple more months is it um it's on until mid-march Okay, great. And then um, I've got, I'm going to have <clears throat> some paintings at Ingleby Gallery, actually, in Edinburgh. <gasps> great. And so that's in June, and I'm hoping to come over and spend some time. That's Caroline Walker's gallery, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We've interviewed Caroline Walker, and she's got work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're an amazing gallery. Yeah. Well, if you do come over, that's going to give you a chance to go to the Tate and see Bonnard's. Yes, I've already tabla. been thinking that, I know. Yeah. Um, and then, it's so you, isn't it? That painting, the orange, isn't it? I just brought it up and oh, all the bananas and everything. It's very, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I can see why you love it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the next big solo is in LA in September at M&B Gallery. Oh, cool. Brilliant. Exciting times. Brilliant. Yeah. And we will link to all your galleries and, uh, yeah, and share images of what we've been talking about today Great, on our Instagram you. at TalkArt. And also you can visit at Grim Gallery and you'll be able to visit Russell's show. It's free. So you should all pop down. And, yeah, uh, I'm so excited. Thank you for yeah. including me in that. Of course. Thank you for being a part Aww. of it. It's, I'm honoured. I've loved this conversation. It's been so wonderful. I feel like we're in the same room, even though we're not. <laughs> yeah. The magic of the internet. And you said Fiona <laughs> Apple to start. And the apple. Oh, right. I said Fiona the apple, apple and it's green. Wow. The exactly. Apple, the apple's been a theme. It's wow. been the theme of okay. this episode. I love that. Gosh, we're really stretching it now. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably time to wish our listeners fond farewell and goodbye for now. Thank you and, everyone uh, listening. We'll be back very soon. And you're on Instagram. Yes. Are you? What's your Instagram? Um, it's just Aubrey Leventhal. Okay. Great. At Aubrey Lavendal. All right. Uh, we'll be back very soon. Thank, Thank you, Aubrey. Big love. Thank I you, I hope we get to see you when you come to the UK. Yeah. I'd love that. I'll come up to London. Maybe we can go and see the Bonnard together. That oh, that would be, would be amazing. Well, lots of love. We'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.